This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Nerds. 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 What is a nerd? Live from Dallas, Texas, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, money nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And, you know, people make fun of my love of celebrity-endorsed colognes. I'm looking at you, Wayne Newton. Oh, what an animal scent. But how about this? Today, we're talking board games live from the floor of the BoardGameGeek.com with special guest, host of the Board Games To Go podcast, Mark Johnson. We'll talk about games to help you learn investing, finance, and economics, good and expensive family fun picks for this holiday season, and more. Also today, we welcome the man behind Cash Crunch Games, games meant to teach kids about money, Paul Vasey. And now, the guy who's concerned that only one company makes the game Monopoly, Joe Salcihai. Hey everybody, welcome back. I am Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and I am back here at the place that I consider heaven, and that is this conference called Board Game Geek. And for those of you that have listened to the show for a long time, you know that I love board games, and I'm here Wednesday through Sunday. Imagine playing board games Wednesday through Sunday. And I'll tell you, for those of you that don't know, that when I first started playing board games, it was eighth grade. And my grades were okay in school. They weren't phenomenal. Um, My family spent a lot of time watching television. And my parents, and this will give away my age a little bit, went to the Curtis Mathis dealership. And, uh, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to bring our guest on. I don't usually do this, but but I think this will be fun to talk about how he got into board games. The gentleman who is the proprietor of my favorite podcast on board games, Board Games To Go, Mark Johnson. Welcome back, man. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Now, people say that games aren't rocket science, but let's start here. You are a rocket scientist. Yes, I do work for NASA. That part is true. But you do like really, really light board games. You don't like the heady. I would think a rocket scientist would love the really heady stuff. Uh, yeah, I suppose that that would be a natural assumption. But maybe it's because it's my day job. I don't even think that's it, actually. I think that's just like, in fact, I'll get all engineering on you. I think I'm thinking like a systems engineer. And a systems engineer has to synthesize things into what makes most sense in an overall kind of way. And I think that's why I like board games that don't give you tons of details where you're micromanipulating every single last detail. Right, right. There is actually a type of engineer that likes that, right. but I'm a different kind and of engineer. And they're here today. Yeah, they're here today. They may outnumber us, actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I'm like the one that likes to synthesize it, and I like games that do that, too. Well, that's funny. I was starting the story about how I got into board games. My parents 
drove to the Curtis Mathis dealership. Remember those days? Uh, of no, no, I'm not. <laughs> Curtis Mathis was an old television, and you drove in, and my parents would uh, they opened up the windows just a little bit so we didn't die in the back of the car. Uh-huh. They went into this place to buy a TV because our TV died. Came back out and said, and it wasn't that they didn't have enough money. It was, they said, you know, the TV's expensive. We don't talk as much as we should as a family. So let's see if we can go without a TV for a while. And that was when, as a family, Mark, we started playing board games together. And I really like what I love about this place. I love the interaction. I love the communicating, meeting new people. I also like when it comes to money, board games. Well, for some people, they spend way too much money on board (laughs) games. But it's not an expensive hobby. No. No, it's got a lot of bang for the buck in that you buy a game, you play with a bunch of people, you can play it over and over again. If you want to get wonky on it, you talk about how much you can amortize the cost of that thing. But mostly it's just, it's not an expensive hobby. I mean, this isn't golf or something right, like that. Right, right. Well, you know a place... But it's also can, not outdoors, usually. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there are some pale people here. Yeah. Right. But you know some place you can go that'll save you a bunch of money that you can use to help out with this hobby, Mark? Uh, no, what's that? It's this place called magnifymoney.com. When you head to Magnify Money using our link, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney, you know what you'll find? The average person saves $450 by having the right checking account, a better savings account. In fact, let's look at savings account rates. Man, that'd at, buy a lot of board games. The, the 450 bucks, yeah. 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 Uh, right now, we're sitting at about 1.5% with the top two on Magnify Money. What I like about Magnify Money is I get a grade for the fine print as an example, Dollar Savings Direct gets a, a, a fine print score of A, minimum deposit to open, $1, 1.5% there. It's a pretty good rate. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. But it's not just there. If you've got the wrong credit card, the wrong personal loan, you need to refinance the student loans, have to use an auto loan. We don't really like doing that. We're going to talk about some car games here, I'm sure, <laughs> in a little bit because we talked earlier about a game you and I both like. Uh, head to magnifymoney.com. Thanks also to HelloFresh for sponsoring the show. Receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code STACKING30. You can go to HelloFresh and make the meal so you don't spend all day in the kitchen. You can get your board games, Mark. That sounds like a good idea. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to start off with headlines, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our headline today comes to us from TheBalance.com, and this is a piece written by Madison Dupay. says, use coin-based games to teach money skills. She says, coins are a great way not only to teach children the value of money, but also to teach a number of valuable mathematical concepts, including addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. I'm not that worried about the article. I'll link to it in our show notes at StackyBenjamins.com. But Mark, when it comes to games... With your family, you have two kids like I do. Yep. Do you use games to teach your kids things about money? A little, but more I would say math concepts because money and math are, are connected. I definitely remember with my daughter, especially when she was younger, playing some games that had math as part of it. And I remember my wife also doing the parent-kid game where, like, you know, she's got a number of coins on the table and then throw a throw a nickel out there now how much do you have throw a dime throw the complicated one throw a quarter out there because that's a little you know this is when they're really little and doing yeah, that yeah right right so we did things like that i guess just an aha that different denominations meant different things right but generally when it comes to anything whether it be historical concepts or like you said mathematical stuff games as teacher yeah i don't know i mean these days of course my kids are way older yeah. And so I think of the question a little differently. I, if you have real little kids, you might think of it 
the way I was first talking about, but I think more about, I don't really love games that try to hit something right on the nose and give you every little detail about some situation. I'd rather see this synthesis or a layer of abstraction or whatever, but you can kind of tell what's going on, what it's representing, and then um, my son's a deep thinker, and he's a sort of, he doesn't like to play a ton of games, but when he does, we can talk about what it represents. Okay. And so I think of it in those terms. Yeah, it seems like mostly when it comes to games about money, for me, games that kind of, I don't know, get, get me excited about the topic versus, like you said, being on the nose. If yeah. it's on the nose and I'm really learning a lot about money, I mean, how, how boring would it be to calculate interest in a... <laughs> right, right. And like I've heard other people say, like, you know, you don't want your hobby to basically be your job. Right. It, those are supposed to be different. Right. But it's kind of fun when they reflect on each other a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny when, when I see my kids start to get into a topic because of the fact that they played a board game about it. You know, I, yeah. I love that. Just the initial thing. Like if I can play a game like uh, we I don't know if we're going to mention this game later, but Stockpile, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a stock uh, game that I like really not a lot like the stock market, but it made my kids kind of go, hey, well, you know, what do I yeah. is, is there more here? Right. And then they go find out more. And next thing you know, they have brokerage accounts and they're talking about my son is telling me about what stocks he likes. And it's pretty exciting. That's good. Yeah. I'll link to this article in our show notes, but I think the big lesson here is I love being here with games. I love the introduction to topics. I don't expect games to teach me everything, and I'm kind of like you where if it's, if it's really on the nose, if it's a game that tries to teach me too hard, I probably, probably don't want to play it. Right. Well, I mentioned before that my favorite show is Board Games To Go. I've been listening to Mark since... I remember, man, you started your podcast, what, 2005? That's right. How many podcasts were, were there? I think there were less than a 500 podcasts at that point. I think there probably were. That's right. I know. I mean, I was there was just a few, just a very few back then, right? And I was doing it just to mess around. Yeah. And you still do it just to mess around. That's it. kind of how I still do it. <laughs> get some friends on the microphone, but that's why I like it. That's all it is. That's right. I feel like I'm hanging out with Mark and his friends, Greg or Dave or somebody else. That's and uh, you guys are just having some chats about board games, but you've been nice enough to help us today to talk about board games that kind of will do what we talked about in our headline segment, give people little introductions to money. Of course, games, not just specifically about money, but also introductions to economics okay. sometimes. So you've got five, maybe I do. Awesome. So let's go. What are some games people might want for the holidays to help learn about money? Okay. So the first one on my list, you've actually mentioned already, with that stockpile. That's a game that came out a few years ago. It has you know stock in the name. It's about the stock market. What I like about it is it's not... I don't even know what a real stock market simulation in a game would be, but it probably wouldn't be that fun. But this is, there is a market, you're investing against other players. Sometimes games have a, kind of a real artificial thing where like people don't really act that way. But, but it is true that I might not be in competition with other investors, but we're all independently investing and some of us will do better than others. And that's what happens in this game too. And what I also like is that there's a, you have little scraps of information, not insider information, just information that you, you think you know how a stock might move, but you don't have complete information. And that part feels 
like it relates to the real world in some way. Yes, and you can invest based on the fact that you have a little bit of information. Right, and if you think, oh, I think that one's going down, I better get out while I can. And you know, there's like an advanced mode or an advanced board where instead of being like five generic companies, one's more of a tech company that's more volatile and one's more of a utility type company that sort of chugs along. And I thought, oh, those, back when we are talking about kids, you know, I never played, this game came out way after my kids were already grown and everything, but that would be some useful things to talk about with someone if you played that game. There's say. three concepts in the game that I really like, and I'm going to talk about these for a second. And this is going to make the game sound deeper than it is. The game's, it's the game's not. It's not deep at all. Right. But I love the fact that in a really light game, it shows you what happens when your stock goes to zero. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you're <laughs> like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. I just got, I just got flushed. Right. right. Yeah. And it's a real thing that happens in the game probably more than once the first time i'm originally from detroit and the first time that uh that i played we could not keep one of the games as an auto manufacturer we could not keep them out of bankruptcy yeah i think it went bankrupt three times in a game which i, I don't think i've had happen since yeah. a, a stock and boy it was too real life and they and stock split too that's, that's another kind of cool thing that's in there that's the second one i really like that too you split your stocks and uh and end up with more and you also learn that 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 doesn't necessarily mean that you have more money because it goes back you double the shares and the same amount well actually i think they do give you a little bit a little bonus a little bonus but, but it doesn't right it doesn't double your money right right because yes. the stock price resets and the third thing i like is trading fees like oh you, that's right you can level trading fees on somebody and it really makes them angry <laughs> yes that's true it's so good that game's called stockpile and you'll find that widely available yes right. yeah that's right. a great one what else we got this time i tried to actually come up with games i think you can find somewhere you know <laughs> online or something not just not just talking about some game i like from 20 years ago that no right. one can ever find us anymore. nerds right right exactly okay the next one on my list and this is just sort of barely about finances because lots of games have like money in them right so in one sense any game that has money chips in them feels like it's about economics but yes or no okay the game i've got is called jaipur do you know jaipur i know it and i could see the cover i've never yep. played it okay so in jaipur spelled j-a-i-p-u-r it's about trading in old times ancient times this is like trading on the the old silk road and and you know um, commodities but it's um, a trading game for two players. Lots of times it's hard to get a trading game for two players, and people ask for two-player game recommendations all the time. And it's because you're both trading with sort of a central display of cards. Okay. Because normally, if you trade with two players, it's like, well, why should we make a trade? It's like, where, you know, if, if right. a trade is advantageous to me, why would you take it, and vice versa? So, But this is a little different. There's, there's stuff in the middle of the table, and you are trying to acquire sets of, of commodities. You know, and they're the sort of traditional ancient world commodities of silk and spices and, and things like that, and gems or whatever. And then you need to, like, cash them in for points, but they have a diminishing value. There's a diminishing returns thing going on, where the first transactions you you make have the most payoff okay. financially and later ones have a real you know it, it really tails off to you know now you're getting single coins instead of triple coins for your for your transactions and so that's kind of a cool game and it gets that trading mechanism and you definitely feel like you're in some financial competition with the opposing player well and i like the fact that you're because i think a lot of times people think when it comes to not even financially, but my job, right? That, that if I hoard everything, yeah. it's going to be better for me. And if I'm in a situation where I learn that trading is better, 
You know, yeah. I, I like that. I remember teaching somebody to play uh, another game, um, and I hope this is not maybe this is on your list, right. Bonanza. Um, but teach okay, teaching somebody how to play that, and they're like, "Why do I want to trade any of these Bonanzas, Bean Trader? Uh-huh. And why do I want to teach somebody how to? Uh, what? What do I want? Tra- I don't want to trade with you, right? And then you learn that if you don't trade with people, you've I think played this game, you're screwed. Yes, right? Right. probably the same thing here with Jipper. Yeah. Right, you definitely need to make some things happen. My wife sure. has been to that city. Said it's very okay. beautiful there. There you go. Yeah, fantastic. Another connection. Fantastic, and that that game you can get at uh, hobby shops and online pretty widely. Yeah, I too. think so. Yeah. yeah, these these days you can get a lot more online than you used to be, and <laughs> stores like Target and Barnes and Noble start to have things on on shelves now too. So. I'm surprised by some of the great titles you'll find at a Barnes and Noble. Yeah, that's yeah. right. All right, you ready for another one? Amen, brother. Okay. It sounds exotic, Kraftwagen or Kraftwagen. I played right? it for the first time last night. Okay, and how did you like it? I loved it. Yeah, so this game, you can kind of maybe tell, maybe, it sounds German. It's because it's talking about the auto industry and the birth of the auto industry, which is in Germany. But it doesn't really have to be in Germany. That's just kind of fun for historic interest. Um, in this game, you are each player represents a car company, you know, a, a really almost car inventor as well, but car company. And you're doing things to improve your product line, I would say, because you're putting together cars that have basically very simple, it's very simple to put together a car. You have an engine and you have a body. That's Those all de- you need. That's all you need, right. <laughs> Hello, and, Detroit. And your engine is either a one or two or three and that, that right. sort of thing, right. and your body's a one, two or three. But you need to do things in the game that... The, you know, you want to go from a two to a three because a three is better than a two, and you put those cars together. And this is the part that's the most interesting to me is when you actually put them on the market or in the showroom, whatever they call it. You put your finished car out in the market for population, the world basically, to buy your car. And they have a neat concept of when you put the car together, there's a couple things that are going on. It doesn't just sell for a, a known price. You decide what the price is going to be. And you have I some love choices. that aspect that cool? of the game. That's a really interesting part of the game. It's like, well, why wouldn't you price it for the highest? I mean, yeah, duh. of course, do 15. Don't do three. That's crazy. Of course you do 15. That's the highest price. But when the buyers actually go to buy the car, and the buyers are these other little things in the game, it's not other players, it's, it's just the game buys the cars from you, they will naturally gravitate towards the best deal. So if I've got a car and it's, it sells for 15 and you've got basically the same car and it sells for 14 they buy yours instead of mine, and no one buys mine, right? And, and I love the idea that uh, you're matching supply with demand. Like uh, most of the game, I was a guy that built cars that looked sleek, Mark. They were fantastic cars, and they were just crap under the hood. I had horrible engines, but beautiful bodies. And in the last turn of the game, nobody wanted to buy my car because that buyer, other players spent time making sure that demand, and I guess this would... That's a good way to say it, demand. It would represent advertising, I guess, Mm -hmm. by, by putting certain buyers out there. They made sure... That there weren't going to be, that buyers wanted uh, cheap cars, mm-hmm. that they wanted ones with strong engines. Like, as I took the lead, and everybody knew I was in the lead, Oh, good. the rest of the players kind of conspired against me to make sure that nobody wanted the, and, and, and I thought that was a great lesson. Yes, I know. I think there's a lot of, and one of the things I like about that game is it feels like there's a lot of economic stuff going on, does to me anyway. And I think there is, but it doesn't take like hours and hours and hours to play. Right. It's actually pretty tight. Yeah, quick game, very simple. A uh, lot of big, lot of big concepts about running a company without getting too far in the weeds. 
Yeah, and that's a neat one too, just because you know that game came out a few years ago, and if I would have recommended it a few years ago, you would have had to like import it from Germany, which is actually where the game comes from. But you know, now we've got an American publisher, a republisher, I guess, and it's available widely in this country. And so, I mean, they kept that funny name, but um, it now it's easy for people to get, which is I, awesome. Is speaking about history and learning, uh, they were talking about the uh, Mercedes, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I hope I get this right. His spouse, she was driving one of their first cars across the country of Germany and she ran out of gas and she had to go to a drugstore to buy the different things to make gasoline. Oh, right. To make gas. chemist, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So she's trying to put that together. And I love that, you know, that it's nothing to do with the game, but it tells you a little bit about that story. And then there's stories about the different engineers. Yes. And different people, a diesel. I have no idea. I love this part of the game, right? Where they've got aspects, uh, well, there are cards that show up that are individual personalities, famous historical figures from the early days of the automotive industry, which, you know, you can ignore the history and just play, okay, that one gives me a plus one on this, and that one helps me get those two tokens over there. Yeah. But you can also go down the I always got like the Wikipedia rabbit hole and it's like, I want to read about what, <laughs> right. who was Diesel and what did he do? And you can, it's like, oh, that's why it works that way in the game. That makes sense. Great, I love that. Great introduction. Of, of the three games we talked about, this is probably the hardest, but still not a really difficult game. Yeah. It's more of a serious gamers game, we yes. might say, but yeah. yes, Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, I'm excited. We got two more. Two more. I think you have to talk about a train game when you talk about economics and games because there's a long history of uh, in our hobby about games that focus on the railroad industry for one reason or another, and they often have a strong economic concept to them or, or central part of it because, you know, it's the railroads and robber barons sort of era and that kind of thing, and there really are a million titles possibly to, to recommend here, but the one I'm going to say is called Chicago Express. Hmm. So, in Chicago Express is a game about uh, a number of railroad companies on the eastern seaboard of America trying to expand basically across the um, you know, Appalachian Mountains and across that mountain range there and get to Chicago. You don't have to get to Chicago, but there's a lot of economic incentives, meaning points in the game, for getting to Chicago. The thing that's interesting about this game, if you've never played a game of this type is that, you know, in, in other games, kind of like Craft Wagon, we just talked about, the individual players might represent a particular company. Right. Not so in Chicago Express. Not so in a lot of train games. Now you're investors, really. And I there like are, this yes, aspect of and this game. And there's different companies. And so, you know, there's a company, you know, they have colors, yellow, green, blue, but they actually also have historic names of which what those companies are. And they have different advantages, both by their geographic placement and maybe some the number of shares they can issue. And through issuing of shares, players invest in companies because they want to make, uh, there's various times when the companies pay out and you want to have a piece of the company that looks like it's being the most successful. Why is it more successful? Well, because it's connected to more cities. Maybe it's actually gotten to Chicago where the big payoff exists. Also, another concept I really liked that was kind of new to me when I first encountered it was you know, this company might look great, but it needs capital. It needs to be able to get to build more track and connect to more cities. And how does it get that? By selling shares. And that if it doesn't sell enough shares, maybe you've even got most of the shares and you think this company's going great, but the company, not you haven't run out of money, but the company has run out of money and it can't expand anymore. So you need to issue another share 
to get some more investment money into the company so it can expand further. So that's cool. I really like that game. What I like about this game is uh, it's a great teacher, without trying to teach again, about diversification. Mm. Because you can put your money behind one company, but I think, it's been a little while since I played it, but, but I think that if you get strongly behind one company and everybody else sees that you're just, you, you know, you're really super into this one one co- I'm not going to pay any attention and I think and I think if we don't have some cooperation between us that's when the company starts to falter that particular because then they don't get across the mountains they don't get to make it to Chicago because I see you're trying to make that go to Chicago and I don't want it to yeah I'm going to block it if I at all can right yeah so I got to kind of diversify a little bit to make sure that uh, that I don't get smoked which is you know interesting when it comes to investing you get super wealthy if you don't diversify maybe but there's a ton more risk that way. Yeah. It's less risky to spread your risk among several companies. But in this game, especially, if you spread it too far, you're just never going anywhere. Right, right. Yeah. Great stuff. So, question for you. The last game you're going to talk about, and I got goosebumps. Yeah. Is, 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 is this the top one? Like, are we doing this David Letterman no, style? No, where this these, is are, the best? these are just all different games. In no fact, order. I'm, I'm pulling an audible, and I had an idea of what I was going to talk about. I'm going to change it up and talk about a different game on, right. on the end. And it's because some of the games we talked about, if, you know, if you're not really into the hobby, they might seem a little daunting. Kraftwagen is not super heavy, but it's a little heavy. And uh, um, Chicago Express also, the rules are not long, but it's a little bit heavy. So let's talk about a really light one. Yes. I think that's a good idea. Um, there's a game called Startups. Have you played Startups? No. Okay. Little card game. Okay. It comes in one of those little tiny boxes by this publisher. It's kind of cool that we're now, st- I've mentioned Germany before because lots of games have come from Germany. Well, this hobby is international. It's all over the world. And we're starting to see designers and publishers coming out of uh, uh, the U.S. and Canada and places like that, but also other parts of the world. In this case, is Japan. So Japan... I'm laughing, by the way, not to cut you off, but I'm, but I'm laughing because I'm like, I've heard, where have I heard, I heard about this game on your show? Yes. <laughs> I've heard That's about why, this game from you. I just talked about this game recently. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So there's, there's some publishers from Japan. They're starting to come on the scene that are people starting to pay more attention to. And my, uh, my friend brought this one over one time. And uh, I loved it instantly. But it's super light, okay? It's, it's economic in the sense that it's about stocks. That's about stocks and investing. But some stocks and investing games can get heavy. This is really light. This is just a little card game you can play with. I think three players probably, I don't know about two, but probably three up to five or six, I don't recall exactly. And it probably takes all of you know 20 minutes around the table. So sometimes that's good for a certain crowd. So in the game of startups, there's a bunch of different companies. They have kind of cute, funny names and cute little logos on them. And you're investing in the companies just by picking up share cards that are to the table. And it's got kind of a little bit of an artificial thing that kind of keeps people from getting a monopoly on it. I think they put that in the game so the game works well, but you, if you want it, you can call that government regulation if you want uh, and, and just gin up a reason for why that exists. That's but, a good lesson too, though. Uh, well, that's why it comes up, right? Because you think like, the game's not teaching you something, but if you, if you know something about the topic, you think, oh, that's what that might be or that's what that can rationalize as anyway. Yeah. And you invest in different companies and shares in different companies and then they pay out at the end of the game and what you want to have is uh, just the most shares in things and have other players pay you but you've got that government regulation break that I was talking about kind of keeping you from being the monopoly holder yet you need to somehow overcome that through cards that you hold in hand so it's super light super fun easy to play easy to teach so startup I mean these companies are make or break do any of the startups go under well, they don't go under in the way that we talked about in Stockpile, but yeah. they, their payout can be really limited, right? Okay, and some right. of some of the companies have more, they're like, I guess, 
better finance companies so they can issue more stocks. Therefore, the, whoever has the monopoly can get a bigger payout from other players. And that's the other thing is you, is you get the payout, not from the bank, but you get the payout from other players who are minority holders in the companies. So you, you want other people to invest in the company. You just want to be the one that is the, uh, the big dog in that company. This company's called Oink Games? Yes. Yeah, and uh, they have another game that I really like, that my mom likes, Okay. Uh, called Deep Sea Adventure. Oh, I love that one. Which, the box is the size of my fist. Yeah. Is this game the same, where yep. it's the size of my fist? I think all their games come in that. That's and, amazing. Yeah. 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 And That's, it's such a, I mean, it's 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 a sidetrack, but it's a, sort of a joy to open. You got this little game, and uh, you open it up, and it's like all the pieces are already punched out, and the cards look great, and the graphic design is nice, and it's a little package you can easily throw in a in a bag or in a glove yeah. compartment or whatever. Camping trip. Easy. Play it on a train. I've played Deep Sea Adventure on a camping trip, as a matter of fact. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the perfect game. Well, those are great. We will link to all those in our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Well, Paul Basie is a man I'm happy to call a friend of mine. He is the man behind Cash Crunch Games. And guess what? They have a new game out. And since today is game day here on the podcast, I thought that we would reach out to Paul and talk to him about what the new news is over at Cash Crunch Games. So coming down to the basement, an interview we recorded this last week, it's me and Paul Vasey. Coming back to the basement, second year in a row, Mr. Paul Vasey from Crash, Crash, why do I want to say Crash, <laughs> Cash Crunch Games. Well, you us. could say that you don't look after your money, it is a big car crash, right, I guess? <laughs> it, it, it probably is. How have you been this last year, my friend? Very good, Joe. Very good. Great to see you. And I'll tell you what, this basin's taking shape. I mean, I can see you got a brand new cabinet for all those awards. You know, I can almost, I can't even see you through the bling of the awards at the moment, yeah. the Plutus Awards and everything else. And that picture of PT up there as well on your wall. Wow. We You're just, really decorating the place. Well, we just, we, we, we dwell in the awards. That's all we do. <laughs> we sit around and we high five each other. We slap each other on the back. That's all we do, right? So you're going to be a has-been soon then? That's I'll it. put my awards and that's it? I think According to some of the reviews we get, we already are has-been. So who knows? <laughs> I don't know. But there's a lot. Let's talk about you, man, because I want to go back. Why did you decide to start Cash Crunch Games? Because I think this is a really interesting story. Back in the day, I was a school teacher, and one of the things I found that traditional ways of learning didn't always come across well, you know, use a textbook and talk, you know, chalk and talk and all those kind of things. And I realized that when you create an experience or we like we're having a conversation, we'll remember this last year and say, oh, do you remember when we said this and that? We'll remember it. But we're not likely to remember something we've read, really, unless it's totally profound. And also with kids as well, you know, um, I wanted to create something that gives them an experience. So the moment you make a kid, a student, or whatever you want to call them, a an expert in something, you cannot keep them quiet. If they've driven along a road or something else, they will tell you everything there is on that road because they've been there, done that, and they are the new expert. So what better way than to do it through games? You know, when you see kids, they can't make change or they don't know the value of money or anything along those lines. But if you actually put money in their hand and you get them playing a game, they are wizards. Yeah, they're absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they don't think it's fun, which is why they can't do it. 
Right, right. But then you give them a game of Monopoly or one of those other games which includes money on those 250 games on your wall, <laughs> they will, will be wizards and they will be showing you a thing or two. That's the cool thing is to make people passionate about it. So you have a few games. It all started off for you guys with the with the online game, right? Cash Crunch 101? I did. Yes, it did. Yeah. 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 Um, and that, again, was just something to get them going because we were told physical board games weren't the way to go. So we need to go online. So we made an online game. And now it's all coming back to board games. Well, well, but but let's start there with Cash Crunch 101. What are kids going to learn when they play that game? They're going to learn the value of money. They're going to learn about making decisions, um, looking at opportunity cost, risk and reward, budgeting, income, spending, saving, cash flow, all the things we do in everyday life when we're making a decision. Sometimes you buy a laptop. Do you take out the insurance? Yes or no. If you don't, you might be lucky you never need it. I can guarantee you probably do need it. You know, there's those kind of risks straight away with earnings and expending. You know, you can't spend more than you earn, all those kind of things. Yeah, I love some of those basic ideas. Who is this game for? What age group are you looking at, Paul? Well, high school and college students, but it could be 13 to 21. But really, adults can play it as well. It's a great way. It's a fun and non-intimidating way to learn how and figure out how your money habits stack up. Well, I mean, because that's the one one thing we need to learn. That's what I like is the experience of, you know, sitting there next to Junior and being able to spend some time together and kind of laugh about some money decisions. Right, right. And that's what we're doing with our Junior board game is the fact that it's a, it's a physical board game. You're sitting around a table, you're having a chat, talking about the football or whatever you want to do and uh, talking about some money habits. And hey, hey, what are you doing there? Have you thought about this? Or they see you do something. It's a great way to learn. As you say, we're sitting around the table with Junior. Yeah, yeah. And let's go there because you have two different board games for kids, uh, Cash Crunch Junior and Cash Crunch Senior. But in Junior, what ages is that for? That's for seven to 12 year olds. And it's the same principles across all my games where it's saving money, save money first, spend later, the value of money, budgeting, cash flow, all those kind of things. Nice. And uh, tell me the basis of the game. Like, what's the story behind the game? Kids are sitting around the table and you, what, get an allowance and spend it or what happens? Yeah, yeah. So you get an allowance. Uh, you get about $12 to start the lesson, uh, to start the game. And every week you get a $2 allowance. But you get you get, you land on a square and you pick up a green card, which is the income card. It could be things such as you've cleaned your room, you've got good grades, you've recycled, you helped the neighbor and you get some money. But on, and the red card is expense, so it could be that um, you've lost something, you've broken something, you've told a lie, you've been naughty, you've not cleaned your room, and basically it's going to cost you. So in the end, you're learning the basics of money. Then the other thing is we're also teaching, you know, say something nice about the person opposite you or, um, you know, do you want a milkshake or water? And, you know, it's going to cost you one fifty for a milkshake, but it's nothing for water. And you should see these kids when they actually have to pay with their own money. It's a different story. <laughs> well, well, of course, I'm going with I'm going with the water. Like every right, time, right. Yeah. But again, then you can actually say later on in the restaurant, hey, 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 hang on, hang on. Why are you spending my money? You know, you were quick not to spend your own money in the game. But come on, let's think about this, you know. So there's things you can do in life. So I'm just trying to get them to learn the value of money first, because I think whether you're 7, 17 or 70, if you know the value of money, you'll always make smarter decisions. And that's the big, big part. 
along the big big money happens. Well, sure, absolutely. And about how long does it take to play Cash Crunch Junior? What kind of time commitment are we looking at? Um, you can play for thirty minutes. There's no time. There's no real like Monopoly where you're the last man standing with all the money. This is this is your own personal journey where you pay for 20, 30 minutes. It's you know you play with your parents, play in the classroom, and it's maybe 20, 30 minutes. And how excited are you, by the way, for the new kid in town, which we're here to talk about today? Uh, we're welcoming Cash Crunch Senior to the family. Hey, yes, I'm looking very forward to that. I mean, there's still a few prototypical uh, changes that I'm going to make. But um, yeah, I'm very excited because now we're bringing in a credit card function and all those things that high schoolers, when they get their uh, prepaid cards and you know, college students are getting their Discover cards and all those things. You know, I went to college where I'd saved up a stack of money when I went to university. And then within the first two weeks, I'd blown all my money and I was living off an overdraft. And um, one time I went to an ATM machine and it said it only had five pounds left in the machine. And I thought, oh, there's only five pounds left in the machine for everybody. But it actually, it was me. <laughs> me. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. So I learned some lessons there and I thought those would be great for kids in a game. I like, I played it last night and uh, Cheryl and I got our income to start off with. We we also rolled for our starting expenses. Our expenses, Paul, were higher than our income, which was yep. a problem. Um, right. <laughs> and so then immediately we had to, we had to be very cost conscious. And of course, some of those cards you talk about, there was a, uh, there was a printer cartridge card, which was, do I use the original manufacturer one or do I use the recycled cartridge? And of course- you know, you're you're when you're when, when when you're playing the game, you're cutting expenses all the way through. But it's funny because people, you know, you go into Walmart, you don't even really think about it. You see the printer cartridge, just pick it up, and you think, "Wow, if I did a little exploration, I might be able to cut this expense." And who cares which one I use? Right, right, and that's the whole point: is the fact that you know, quite often we pick the first thing up that we we see, and we don't even think about how to cut that. And uh, the fact that your expenses were higher than your income, well, I mean, welcome to Studentville. <laughs> I mean, everyone's there, you know, wanting a laptop. They were paying the rent. They're going out, meeting friends, partying. But they don't realize that, hey, I'm not really oh, it's bank of mom or dad that's paying the bills and there's not much coming in. You know, you've got to you've got to address it pretty quickly. So that was the learning lesson there for for the senior game. Well, I like the idea of putting stuff on a credit card, too. You can put stuff on a credit card and you advise in the rules to when you use the credit card, set the money aside. You've got this little spot for your credit card payment. You can set it aside, of course you're going to use the credit card when you don't have any money. So, which introduces another problem. But what I really like is as you move around the board, you can decide when to pay your credit card bill. You can wait until the last minute, but if you do that and you roll a number that's too high and you pass the space, well, now you've got this, uh, you know, overdue late fee on your credit card and, and, uh, and just the monster problems start to rack up. Right. It's a vicious circle. I mean, what people don't realize is the fact that you use a credit card, you're actually using someone else's money and you're paying them back at a later date. Um, just because you're using a card, you don't see the money being handed over. You're still using money and that's a big, big disconnect for people. So that was one of the things I wanted to teach in the game was the fact that when you use a credit card, you best get used to putting the money aside or at least knowing you're going to put the money aside to pay that bill back. Otherwise, it gets very expensive. And my understanding is this is a variable game. We played uh, three months, Cheryl and I, but you could certainly play this. You could play six months. You could play one month. You can play pretty much whatever amount of time you've got. 
Right. Yeah. And every time you do it, it's another it's it's a way of getting a conversation going about money habits. I mean, the fact that you either paid your credit card early or you paid it late and you got busted and you actually pay your fees for not paying your credit card on time. There's lots of different things that, you know, oh, man, did you get nailed for uh, buying a laptop? And did you take out the insurance and all those kind of things? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's lots and lots of conversations you can have. Same with like we said with the cartridges. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so all the games, whether it's Senior, Junior, the online edition, where do we find them? Well, you find them at cashcrunchgames.com. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yep. And we'll have the link to all three of those in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Paul, thanks for joining us again for our special board games episode. Absolutely. It was great to see you again. And look, Nick, I think if we're going to start a tradition every Thanksgiving, I will probably see you again next year. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how your basement changes and evolves. <laughs> probably more shag carpeting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Maybe that's on sale at Home Depot. And that's why you go. <laughs> don't tell there you all, go. Don't, saving. Don't tell all my secrets. Right. <laughs> Hey there, money nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, taking a break from our own board game festival here in the basement while Joe's gone. Joe's mom just won the poker tournament. OG's still sore about me kicking him out of the Kamchatka Peninsula in risk. And me? Well, let's just say that an ace up your sleeve never hurts, if you know what I mean. Here's today's ace, the trivia. Who was the first and only president to have his face on a minted coin while still alive? Here's a clue. It's a coin that's no longer in circulation. I'll be back with the answer and some more wine coolers for Joe's mom in just a minute. Hey, stackers, we get used to those same daily routines, don't we? Wake up at the same time every morning, brush our teeth, park the car in the same spot at work every day, recite jokes in the mirror to be funnier than that jerk of the water cooler. Or is that what just me? Here's one thing you shouldn't make routine, using the same credit card from the same bank just because that's what you've always done. Nick Clements from Magnify Money explains why. I mean, it's never been a better time, honestly, to find a, a credit card, especially given the lucrative sign-on bonuses that are out there. Uh, Chase just recently had 100000 on, on their reserve card. I, I think we're at a point right now where credit cards are, are extremely profitable for large banks, um, and they are really wanting to get more customers. And so they're they're rolling out the red carpet. So I would just say if you're you if you have had a credit card for more than two or three years, chances are there's a much better deal out there for you today. So why stick with that same old card with those rewards that haven't changed in years? You can use MagnifyMoney.com to always find best in class, including better interest rates. And don't only use Magnify Money for credit cards. Nick and the team have built the site from the ground up to help with personal loans, student loans, and mortgages. Average person saves $450 in interest when they hit stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnified money. Well, OG and I and the gang here in the basement, we teamed up with HelloFresh and they're offering all of us $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to hellofresh.com and use the offer code stacking 30 Everything comes pre-measured in these labeled meal kits, so you're going to know exactly which ingredients go with which recipe. There are three different plans you can choose from. I had the classic, OG had the family, and there's, of course, the veggie option. Last week, I had this creamy mushroom pork chop recipe with crispy potatoes and Brussels sprouts. And not only were they those little potatoes that I like, you're going to hear what a chef I am, but also the Brussels sprout recipe, 
unbelievable. The cool thing is you're not going to spend all night in the kitchen because the recipes only take about 30 minutes. And you can feel confident because you have pictured step-by-step instructions. So if you're not a big reader, this is also for you. Head to HelloFresh.com. Use the code STACKING30 stacking thirty to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Hey there, game nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, back with today's trivia answer and a question for you about our Scrabble board tournament with Joe's mom and OG. What's a four-letter word that starts with B and all I have is a bunch of E's and an R to choose from? Huh, I always get the hard ones. Anywho, let's start with a trivia, which was so much easier. Here's the question. Who was the first and only president to have his face on a minted coin while still alive? The answer? Well, if you thought it might be Calvin Coolidge and went all in on it, you'd be right. The Calvin Coolidge coin was a 50-cent piece made to commemorate the USA's 150th year of independence. The coin also included George Washington, but of course, you already knew that. Me? I'd love to challenge Joe's mom at a game, but she says I should play solitaire. Huh. Solitaire. I wonder how many people can get in on that one. See ya! A little bit older president than you guessed. Ah, yes. You had guessed Dwight D. Eisenhower. It seemed like a good guess to me. It was like throwing a dart, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was that way, yeah. It It was close. Hey, let's answer some of your questions because we had some people that wrote to us these, uh, people write to us by mistake, Mark. They, by mistake? Well, they mean to write to somebody else. Okay. But they accidentally end up in our mailbox. Perfect. Because there's no way you'd ask us a question. Of course. <laughs> and of course, uh, the wrong number segment is brought to you by Stacky Benjamin's Courses. You don't learn anything from the show, but if you do want to learn, who do you want to learn from? The nerdy people that are going to bore you to tears or the people that are kind of fun? StackyBenjamins.com. If you scroll down just a little bit, you see we have a course about finding Benjamins, the millionaire money mindset. And that will show you all the little things in your budget where money's slipping through the cracks and you don't know about it. That's at stackybedjamins.com. So for this one, Mark, instead of our normal wrong number call-in, we actually asked people in our closed Facebook group, okay. which is uh, stackybedjamins.com forward slash basement to get there. We call it the basement. So I'm going to ask you a few questions here from the basement. Okay. Karen asks, where does one look for board game recommendations that aren't marketing ploys? Because it seems like, and to Karen's point, if you don't know where to look, when I first went looking for good board Mm -hmm. games, I would just put in board games that I'd end up at a site where somebody's just trying to sell me on a bunch of junk that Mm -hmm. isn't great. Oh, interesting. If I'm looking for great board games, where where do I go? Well, these days, honestly, I would say Target. It's, it's funny to say that because that sure wouldn't have been the answer a while ago. But um, now there's some great board games and they're probably at other stores too. But I'm just I'm singling out Target because they must have a good buyer who are, are not only getting uh, more of the games that, we, that you and I like to play and talk about, but they're like hand selecting good ones in there. And I have it's a har- curated. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's, it's weird to hear the phrase, the, the word target and curated in the same sentence, <laughs> but it really is. Someone is doing their job back there. Yeah. And if you get a game there, I, I hope this is true. I think it's true. Um, here's the way a lot of hobbyists got into, the, got into this is they got a game 
they played it at someone's house or whatever, they, and then they opened it up, and there was a little pamphlet inside there, and you say, like, oh, who's this company? They make other games, too? I didn't know about that. And those other games may or may not be sold at uh, Target, but it shows you, you know, oh, here's uh, whatever the company is, and uh, they have a good lineup. So that's a good place to start, I think. And the other thing that's kind of like that in the, in the modern digital age is if you, you know, go on everyone's may or may not be favorite uh, website for buying things if you go on Amazon and the recommendations right there's a lot yeah. of recommendations you click on a game that you maybe heard of and then it says you know below the other things may be recommended and I in my experience those tend to be whatever sort of algorithm you're using to to build those recommendations is pretty good I like the website of the people that put on this conference. You're going to mention BoardGameGeek.com, man. I mean, you That's can get, diving into the deep end of the can, pool. <laughs> you can get into the weeds, but I think they have a, a, a tab up top that's like uh, board game recommendations. Yes. And um, I think if you click that tab, you get stuff that's not, you know, that, that's a pretty good place. It is. Well, and I'll tell you, to Karen's point... Board Game Geek, if you go to that website, mm. I don't see it as a marketing ploy. Like, this is a That's cu- true. It's a list of a bunch of people that really love board games. I've rated games that I like. You've rated games that you like. Yep. And so, when you look at games on Board Game Geek, you're going to get a bunch of people's opinion. Right, right. And the other thing that's good, um, you know, the end of the year is that people start putting out um, like holiday buying guides. Right. And they do that on Board Game Geek as well. And even, you know, whether or not you're hitting it for 2017 or not, it doesn't really matter. You could just, you know, do a internet search for Board Game Geek holiday buying guide 2015, 2014, 2013, yeah. whatever, and you'll get good lists of games yeah. from people who really care about them. Good stuff, Karen. Thanks for the question. The next one is from uh, Spencer. Spencer says, Pandemic Legacy is a favorite board game for me. We'll have to explain what that game's all about a little bit, Mark, for, for people that don't know it, and my wife to play after the kids go to bed. What are some other great cooperative games with a good story my wife and I can play together? Well, Pandemic Legacy, for people that don't know this game, they've taken the idea, this guy that was a board game designer for Hasbro mm-hmm. uh, went off on his own, um, and actually even when he was with Hasbro, he created this idea of what if we played a game like Monopoly but after the game was over, we could restart it again based on where it finished. So we can, we can continue the story from one board game session to another session. Or Clue, we find out that Professor Plum did it. Mm-hmm. And now he's gone to jail. And now we see the consequences of the next thing. So these legacy games are really a story using a board game over, over time. But what are some cooperative ones, Mark, that you like uh, for people like Spencer? Well, yeah, it's fun that cooperative games have become bigger and bigger in, in years. It wasn't that long ago when, like, that didn't exist because people thought games, you have to compete with everybody. And uh, when he says legacy, that really has, I know what he's talking about in a story. It's not just a game. It actually has a story. There aren't too many games like that other than Pandemic Legacy itself has just come out with what they call season two. So you can buy the next version. And it is almost like a television season. I love that, season two. Yeah, that's kind of clever, isn't it? (laughs) But um, Pandemic itself existed as a game without the word legacy attached. That's a a game people can play together. There's a Lord of the Rings cooperative game. There are ones, I'm trying to think, what is the, there's one about rescuing people from a burning building. It's like it's a fire rescue. What is that one called? Yeah. Flashpoint. Yes, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. That's one that's pretty fun. My, you know, Spencer's talking about the kids going to bed. I'll tell you, Spencer, who really likes uh, Flashpoint, the game Mark's talking about here, my niece, Saffron, and my nephew, Carson, and I'll tell you what they both like is not only, Mark, are you, are you saving people, but you save a cat and a dog. 
Oh yes, that's and, right. And so my my that's a fun. my niece loves to play it. She could care less about saving people, but ah. if she saves the kitty, all is right in the world. And that so makes sense. every time I go, uh, she's uh, ten, and every time that I go visit them. In fact, I'm going next week to visit them. Probably when people hear this, actually, we might be playing Flashpoint, saving the kitty. Yeah, that's a good one. I was thinking about a game, Spencer, that uh, I played yesterday. This game, man, it was hard to learn, but if you can get it, once we got into this, Mark, it was it was really fun. Robinson Crusoe, but holy cow. Oh, yeah? It was so hard to learn that game, but he's already in the pandemic legacy weeds, so uh, Robinson Crusoe gets you further in the weeds, but once we, once we got our head around the rules, the rule book needs to be chucked. Okay. Um, you got to go on a place like Board Game Geek and watch some videos. There's also some quick start guides. And once we did that, we kind of got up and running. And luckily, we're in a place with 3,000 people, yeah. some of which helped us with the game. But that's, a, that's another one that if you want to go really, really story uh, yeah. cooperative. And it's not really the same sort of story, but I mentioned war games earlier on your show. And there's you know one called, there's a few of them actually out there. But the one I'm going to mention is D-Day Dice. So you know, you know that scene in Saving Private Ryan and the guys are storming the beach and going up there. Here's a game where you're doing that as you're a squad and you're trying to storm the beach and, and, and move on it's to the next thing. It's cooperative. And it's cooperative wow. because, yeah, and you're playing with, uh, you're rolling these red, white, and blue dice. And, and uh, so if that's something that would be inter- interesting, that's a good one too. Kevin's got a question. What are some good two-player games, Mark? Uh, wow, there's, that's another one where, you know, once upon a time people felt like there weren't many and now there's so many good two-player games out there. So, you know, there's games that can take a lot of players but also play well with two, but I usually think that question means what are games that are specifically designed just for two players? Yeah. So I mentioned Jaipur earlier. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite two-player games. Uh, another one is called Aton, A-T-O-N, which has sort of an Egyptian theme but it, not, it plays really well for two players. Another game now I'll fudge a little bit like I said this is a game that's not specifically for two players but it does really well as two players it's called Evolution the Beginning this is a game that um, is about you know creatures evolving and uh, you're you know I'm trying to outcompete you in the biological world for food and survival and things like that and so I might have an animal that is better at collecting food you might have a carnivore that can eat my animal and that's a really good two-player game too I gave that I'm smiling because I gave the original game evolution to a good friend of mine Mike who listens to the show and uh, and when we learned how to play that game it's so funny I was the carnivore at the table and you have to eat yes you have to eat and I felt bad as I'm Eating all my friends. <laughs> well, you'll feel worse if you have to eat one of your own animals, because that happens too. Right. Like, there's nothing else to eat. Oh my gosh, I have to eat my own little my own little critter over here. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Oh, uh, um, uh, what about a classic game uh, for two? Like um, uh, everybody always brings up this game, Lost Cities. Yes. Kevin might not know Lost Cities, but that's a good game. For yeah, two. Lost Cities is a classic. There's a whole line of games that come in this sort of square format and that Lost Cities was probably the most famous most successful of them all and it's sort of like um, sort of like two, this is going to sound funny two player solitaire in that you're both building a tableau of cards that's what they call it in solitaire right but now I'm playing against you and you're playing against me and the cards the deck of cards is sort of a timer on the game itself too it's actually and uh that's a really cool game. It's kind of deliciously frustrating because the second I play a card, I draw the next card, and it's a card now that I can't play because the card I just played is, they have to go sequentially, and, yeah. I, and I, I draw the card I've been waiting for, and it drives me nuts. By the way, getting back to Spencer, another game that I forgot that is a uh, cooperative uh, story game, okay. Time Stories. Time Stories, Time, yeah. Now, Time Stories can be, we talk about games being cheap. Time Stories, you play it once, and you're 
it's kind of done. It's used up. Yeah, and then you got to buy another. But it's like a game system, and you have different modules. Right, so. right. Another two-player game I'd like to recommend is Patchwork. I don't know if you ever played. So this I, is. A, I want to play that here. Yeah, yeah. So that's a game that we would call like a, a spatial game, and that you, if you, you know, probably everyone knows Tetris, right? You've got these Tetris-like pieces that have to fit onto a board. It's got the theme of doing a quilt, right? So, so that's kind of a different kind of thing. And you've got these different patchwork pieces. They have to fit together on your board. Your opponent is doing the same thing. And um, whoever makes the better quilt wins. Silly as that that's, sounds. That's so awesome. I can't wait to try it out. Uh, Nikki says, which board games have translated excellently to digital format? There's a number of them. Boy, I tell you, there's a lot of people um, that probably do as much or more of their gaming on devices these days as they do around the table. Not Maybe not because it's their choice, but, you know, you, you know you're on a train or something, you're commuting, you get to play. Or you're, you know, your kid's at a soccer game and you've got some, uh, let's say, soccer practice. You should be paying attention to the That's game. That's right. But let's say soccer Give practice. It, yeah, right. right. You might play something. So, um, it's interesting. It's been around our hobby for a long time, and it's been in digital for a long time, but Carcassonne is like the best digital implementation out there. I think it's fantastic. I play that a lot. I've mentioned Jaipur so many times. I'll mention it again. That's got a nice digital implementation. So if you want to check that game out, you can play that digitally. There's an economic game that I didn't mention when we talked about those, but Brass. If you want to get into a really, com- frankly, fairly complex, meaty game about Industrial Revolution in Lancashire of, of Britain, there's a digital game for that. That's um, funny because there's a game that I like, too, that I'll mention that I don't really like the board game because there's just too much. It's too fussy. It's too, too much stuff going on, but Suburbia. Mm, Suburbia yeah. is a game in digital. I love it. When you sit it down on a table in front of me, no thank you. Right. So, yeah. yeah, good stuff. Uh, we got time for one more here, I think. Rory, I have one that the introvert in me has always wondered. Are there any one-person board games? I think it's a good place to good place to end. Yeah, there actually are. I mean, it might not be a surprise to you that this hobby has a lot of introverts. You know, here now, they're all gathered in one place <laughs> trying to, trying to uh, damp that down and, and meet other people. But yeah, there's a lot of that in our hobby. And we talked about cooperative games before. really almost any cooperative game can be played as a one player game too and that and so that's a good option you can play pandemic as a one player game you can play these other game, uh, other co-op games we've talked about as a one player game and there are now more games either they're just a solo game there's not too many of those but there's a lot of games now more and more that have if, uh, on the side of the box they'll have that little icon that says how many players you'll have a little picture of a person you know say two to six players or three to four or whatever if you look there's more and more games now that have a one to whatever and you can actually play it in a solo mode either because there are some specific rules about how to do the rest of the game or it just works well yeah. for that Another one I'd recommend is called Friday. And this is Friday's, and you already mentioned a Robinson Crusoe game once before. This is, uh, this is Friday, the actual uh, other person on the island. And in this game, it's a, it's a card game that you play just for one player. And your idea is that you are very happy on your island by yourself. And this guy, Robinson Crusoe, showed up and you just want him gone. So what you're doing through, the, through this card game is trying to make Robinson Crusoe strong enough and capable enough that he can leave the island and leave you alone. That's what you're trying to do. And, and that's so, perfect for introverts. Just yes, leave right, me alone. Just leave me. There you go. I didn't think of that, but it's right. Just leave me alone. And the trouble is when you play it, Robinson Crusoe keeps dying. And then that does, that's not what you want to do. Or he's stranded on the island. In any case, that's not the outcome you want. So you have to keep working and making your, your card deck better and better until he can, he can get off. So that's a really cool game for one. That's awesome. Thanks for the question, Rory. If you've got questions for the show, usually not about board games, but that's why I love this episode. It's uh, stackingbenjamins.com right at the top of the page. You'll see the questions 
tab and you click that and we can throw out Haven Lifeline to you or uh, you can just send us a note that when Doug brings down the mail. Mark Johnson, man. This feels like, um, I don't know, you don't know this, but you know, you go on runs with me, you, oh. uh, you're in the car with me, the, uh, some nights you put me to sleep. Oh, yes, I, I bet mean, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but tell everybody about Board Games To Go, because I love your show. Okay, so it's a little podcast. I don't, you're overselling it. But um, yeah, I've been doing podcasting just as a hobby for a long time, um, since maybe the earliest days of podcasting, just because I wanted to experiment with it and just talk about the games I like. And that's kind of the thing for me, is I don't really review games. I don't always talk about the newest games. It's just kind of what interests me about the hobby, because... It, it is it is very personal. For me, it's like an audio blog. That's exactly how I think of it. It really started, I think, at least um, superficially, from I would talk to some buddies sometimes over the phone, and we would just, you know, like if you're a movie geek, and you, like, you see movies, and then in talking about movies, you sort of pick them apart, and sometimes people say, you don't even sound like you like the movie. It's like, no, this is what I like doing. I like thinking about what makes movies tick. Well, people can be that way with games, too, and I would, like, call up my buddy afterwards after maybe a game night, and two days later, we say, yeah, what did you think about that one? I didn't like how that part worked. Wouldn't it have been better if this did that way, you know? And we would just talk about games, and so that's what my podcast has sort of ended up being, is sort of just talking about talking about games. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll link to board games to go in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Uh, thanks a ton to everybody who's left a review of the show. Everybody, I hope you're having a fantastic holiday weekend. Mark, again, thanks for, for sh- this is a great time of year to talk about board games because people get together with a family. So speaking of family, we got our family here, uh, family of board gamers. That's right. So we got to go. We got a game to play. We do. Thanks, Joe. Joe, hey, why don't you go back and wash your hair one more time? After all those swirlies you got at the board game conference, I think your animal sense just a tad too musky, if you know what I mean. So what did we learn today, kids? First, take a note from Mark Johnson. Games can be a great way to learn about money, but first, look for games that are fun. If kids are in it for the play, there's a much better chance they'll become interested and want to explore more. Second, looking for places to find out more about board games? The Target Isle and BoardGameGeek.com are great places to start. But the big lesson? Don't play Scrabble with Joe's mom. She's always making up words. That lady's a cheater. Listen to this one. It's spelled B-I-T-C-O-I-N. Bitecon. Bitecon? What the heck is that? Or how about this one? C-U-R-R-E-N-C-Y. Siren C? Whatever. She's not fooling this guy with those made-up words. Special thanks to Mark Johnson for joining us. You'll find Mark's show, Board Games To Go, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thanks also to Paul Vasey for joining us. You'll find out more about Cash Crunch Games at cashcrunchgames.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. 
SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Big thanks to OG for loaning me his dictionary. Turns out, Bitcoin is pronounced Bitcoin and might actually be a real thing. How'd they get that in the dictionary already? Huh, probably just a fad. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.